every good rhyme starts with once upon a time. Long ago, far away, centuries before our day, humans lived, monsters roamed, both shared earth and sky as home. Yet this peace came undone, war was waged and humans won. Welcome to Literary License Podcast, Book to Screen, Once Upon a Time episode. Exploring children's classics whilst losing our innocence along the way. Let your license podcast since November, where it's the month of We Shall Survive. In our book to screen episode, we'll be covering Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and Nymph and the film The Secret of Nymph. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Leandro Gazzi with us. Hello, Leandro. Hello, everyone. And we got Davide Cavallo with us. Hello, Davide. Hello, everyone. Hi. And unfortunately, Vicky's not here. She is with her grandson doing soccer. Or some kind of um, sports day thing. So he's probably like wheeling around in a wheelchair for her old decrepit body to go from place to place. And I'm your host, Kishago. Before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Starting with you, Davide. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Um, Not very much, to be honest. Usually doing the usual home life because it's raining and raining and raining in London and you can't go anywhere. Uh, I mean, money's tight and I've officially completed my last day on my current on my last job so fingers crossed hopefully i will be getting a job soon they're doing the final checks so fingers crossed um besides that not really much going on besides home cooking and then spending time home generally nothing going on in my life it's very boring <laughs> but you know it's winter uh, i mean we've had halloween which has been um Normal, I guess. We've had some kids doing trick-or-treating and then I prepared a whole box of sweets for all the kids coming over. We didn't get many because obviously this is um, in the UK. Trick, um, I mean, Halloween is not really celebrated as much as in the US, for example. Mm. Um, actually, in Italy, if you think about it, like in Italy, we don't even celebrate it. People think it's stupid, it's silly, it's a very American thing. But in the UK, I think at least they do a little <laughs> bit. But, yeah, but besides that, not really... Not really much going on. Really, really boring period, I guess. <laughs> but that's it for me. What about yourself, Leandro? Um, well, now I'm in Argentina again because my niece is having her communion in two weeks. Um, so I've been traveling from one place to the other. Um, losing money because I bought $150 and I lost the envelope. <laughs> um, now... Um, Meeting with my family. Uh, here is my dog. Um, yeah, so two weeks of holidays, then I'll go back to work. Hmm. And myself, I haven't really been up too much. Um, did the Halloween thing, you know. 
nurse decorating. Let's put all my horror dolls all over the place. And was walking around with my. I did a Friday Thirteenth film, so I have the. They gave me a mask when I finished working on that a few years ago, and so he's basically walking around the streets of London with my mask and my Chucky doll in his hand, scaring oh. children. So, so yeah, we got some trick or treaters and stuff, so that was fine. Um, and then um, yeah, I've been watching some bits and bobs on TV. Um, nothing really comes to mind. So I'll talk to me on Netflix, which is interesting. And for people who listen to our podcast, Batman, the animated series, which we do cover on our podcast, is coming to Netflix in two weeks' time. So you'll be able to see the whole series on there. So, But other than that, not a hell of a lot going on with with me, really. Sorting out things, my my final months at work. So taking care of all that. And on that note, that brings us to Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and Nymph, which is a 1971 children's science fiction fantasy book by Robert C. O'Brien, with illustrations by Zena Bernstein. The novel was published by the New York publishing house, Athena Books. The book was the winner of numerous awards, including the 1972 Newbery Medal. Ten years following its publication, the story was adapted for film as The Secret of Nymph, which came out in 1982. The novel centers around a colony of escaped lab rats, the rats and nymph, who live in a technological sorry, who live in a technologically sophisticated and literate society mimicking that of humans. They come to the aid of Mrs. Frisbee, a widowed field mouse, who seeks to protect her children and home from destruction by a farmer's prowl. The rats and nymph were inspired by the research of John B. Calhoun on mouse and rat population dynamics at the National Institute of Mental Health from the 1940s to the 1960s. After O'Brien's death in 1973, his daughter Jane Leslie Conley wrote two sequels to Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and Nymph. What we're going to do is cut to the plot summary and be right back. This is the plot synopsis for Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and Nymph, written by Robert C. O'Brien. Mrs. Frisbee, a recently whittled mouse, lives with her four children in a cinder block, in a field belonging to a farmer named Mr. Fitzgibbon. Her son Timothy falls ill with pneumonia just as the farmer begins planning for spring plowing, which will destroy their home. Normally, the family would move to their summer home to avoid being uprooted, but Timothy is too ill to move. An older mouse named Mr. Ages, who is a friend of Mrs. Frisbee's late husband, Jonathan, gives her some medicine for Timothy. On her way home, she saves the life of a young crow named Jeremy from the farmer's cat, Dragon. In return, Jeremy flies Mrs. Frisbee to an owl's tree so that she can ask for help moving her family. When the owl finds out that Mrs. Frisbee is the widow of his old friend, Jonathan, he suggests that she seeks help from the rats who live in a rose bush on the farm. Mrs. Frisbee discovers that the rats have a literate and mechanized society. They have technology such as elevators, have tapped the electricity grid to provide lighting and heating, and have acquired other human skills such as storing food for the winter. 
Their leader, Nicodemus, tells Mrs. Frisbee of the rats captured by scientists working for a laboratory located at the National Institute of Mental Health, NIMH. And the experimentations that were performed on the rats have increased the rats' intelligence to the point of being able to read, write, and operate complicated machines, as well as enhancing the longevity and strength. Their increased intelligence and strength allow them to escape from Niv and migrate to the present location of the farm. Jonathan and Aegis were the only two survivors of a group of eight mice who had been part of the experiment at Nymph and made the rats escape possible. Out of respect for Jonathan, the rats agreed to move Frisbee's house to a location safe from the plow. Nicodemus also tells Frisbee that the rats have recently decided to abandon their lifestyle of dependence on humans, which some rats regard as theft. Instead, the rats aim to live independently. A group of rats, led by one named Jenner, rejected the plan and left the nest at some point before Frisbee's arrival. In order for the rats to move the Frisbee's home, the cat Dragon must be drugged, but the rats are too big to be able to do so. Mrs. Frisbee volunteers to go, even though she learns that Jonathan was killed by Dragon while attempting to drug him. She is caught by the farmer's son, Billy, who puts her in a birdcage. While captured, Frisbee overhears the farmer and his family discussing an incident at a nearby hardware store in which a group of rats were electrocuted after seemingly attempting to steal a small motor. This has attracted the attention of a group of men who have been offered to exterminate the rats on the farmer's land free of charge. At night, the rat, Justin, comes to save Frisbee and manages to get her out of the cage. The rats manage to move the Frisbee house out of the way of the plow using a pulley and scaffolding system. The successful house move allows the Mouse family to remain so that Timothy has time to recover before moving to their summer home. Mrs. Frisbee warns the rats of what she'd learned when captured. They assure that the rats are at the hardware store were Jenner's groups and that the group of men were from Nymph and are looking for them specifically. To fool the exterminators, the rats get rid of all the human-like technology and make their tunnels under the rosebush look like normal rats' nests. As the others move, ten rats stay behind so the exterminators will not think of the rat hole as being abandoned. While the exterminators fill the rat hole with poisonous gas, eight of the ten rats manage to escape, while the remaining two die in the hole. Once Timothy recovers, Frisbee and her family move to their summer home. And that was the plot synopsis for Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nymph, written by Robert C. O'Brien. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the podcast. We're discussing Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and Nymph. Starting with you, Leander, what are your thoughts of the book, Mrs. Frisbee? Um, well, I, I really like it um, because well, it's easy, really easy to read. 
um, is catching. And, well, this is what happened to me. You know, I started to read it, and I was into the story, you know, like the um, Mrs. Prismy was having the, the son ill and have to, you know, do all the things. And then then we stopped, they, the, the rats appear. And it's like, for me, it's like it's a story inside of another story. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, hold on. <laughs> Go back and close the, the book and say, well, the cover is called Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nimes. So the, the important things here are not the story of Mrs. Frisbee, it's the rats. <laughs> um, yeah, no, really clever. Um, the story, the idea. Uh, well, I, I thought about, you know, the other stories that we have seen in other seasons about those big rats in London. Um, and it was really clever, you know, the way, like, the author was describing how the behavior of the rats and the misconceptions that we have about them um, to the point that makes them, like, hate them. Um, yeah, it was really, really interesting. And then towards the end, I like it, um, how it closed everything and you know when they left and then they go to the place where technically they will be able to be free because they will not be dependent on the humans like never again um that was really like clever i like that thing that said that um i can't remember now exactly but it was saying like it was measuring the rats with I think it was with the monkeys, you know, and they were saying that the beginning the rats were more organized as a society than monkeys, and then, then in the end, uh, well, when humans appear, we were more organized than them. Um, yeah, I, I would I would recommend it. it. It was a bit hard to find the book. I went to the library where I lived that didn't have it, and I ended ordering in Google um, by Amazon. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. What about you? Um, actually, for our listeners out there, um, if you have a Spotify account now, everything that we're covering now, they now do audiobooks on Spotify. So Rath, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nymphora is now there, and all the books that we're covering this season are now on Spotify. So if you like audiobooks, there you go. So. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old person. I, I like the feeling of reading, passing the page, see how much I <laughs> Um Someone said, well, why don't you try Kindle? I'm the same. Mm -hmm. I, don't know. It's, it's, I think it's that's something personal, if you like it or not. Or uh, Me, I don't like technology. I don't like to be watching a screen, no matter how it is, for a long period of time. I prefer to have a book that you, know, you can close it and then, I don't know. But it's our choices. I totally agree. Having the sensation of having the book with you, I, I'm a bit of a, I've got a little bit of a, please take, take my words with the pinches, like with pinches of salt, because I'm not saying literally, but it's almost like a fetish. So you need to have the book because you have the sound of the pages, the smell of the pages, the writing, the sensation. I need to have the physicality of the book compared to Kindles or PDF or whatever online. It's not the same thing. It gives well, me another the... sensation. Especially for this book, the illustrations were fantastic in this book as yeah. well. Yes. So what are your thoughts of the book, Davide? Um, I have a little bit of a slightly different opinion to the one you say, Leandro. I think that the story is kind of, I mean, first of all, I like the book. Um, it was quite easy to read. And I think it's kind of like, 
it's not that the story is about the rats. I think as a story is about the family and the rats. It's kind of like, at least it's the way I see it. It's sort of like um, it divides in two. It's got like two parallel stories. The kind of like sort of connect with each other in in a, in a certain way. They're not completely, at least it's the way I perceive it. It's not really not really that separate because they kind of connect with each other. Obviously, you have Mrs. Frisbee who, to save a family, goes and help the rats and their rats eventually help her. So it's a kind of like, I mean, she doesn't really help them, but they help her eventually. And it kind of sees the kind of battle survival for the individual, which is who is Mrs. Frisbee with a family. And it's kind of like the way they she has to evolve and transform because she's kind of like obviously if you're a mother you kind of like want to have like a, a safe environment and everything but unfortunately she doesn't have the husband and she's got the kids and then there's a situation of the plowing and then there's a the danger of the cold and this the 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 kids i think it's called timothy is it i can't remember his name and then he's sick and it's got pneumonia so she has to help him and in order to help me she has to be brave although it's a scary thing she has to go in the world and start asking for help she goes to the other mouse and then she she meets the crowd and then eventually she goes to the owl, which is the scariest animal. You know, she does things outside her comfort zone. She's constantly scared, but at the same time, she's got to do it. So it's like a sort of like a process of transformation for her. And then she goes outside the normal boundaries and she goes into situations with the rats who are like a different sort of race or community, whatever. She goes into this community. And then the rats have their own problems because this instead is about not an individual, but this is about their community and how they're supposed to evolve and change and survive, etc. So it's kind of like all end up great together because at the end they help her and they help the family. And then they sort of, I mean, we don't really understand what happens to the rats at the end. It's kind of like they free boat. I don't know. They kind of give you like an open ending or sort of, um, but I see the two stories both important. You can see from the side of Mrs. Frisbee, which is kind of like individual evolution and change and transformation, I don't know, and then growing up and learning new things and becoming brave um, and doing things they normally you're not supposed to, but she's doing it for the family, for the kids. And at the same time, it's kind of like the evolution of the rats and trying to, you know, I don't know, being more independent, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of like a, the evolution of the community. I don't know. I see these two themes kind of mixed together so i think they both have importance and also because i think it's although it's um children's book certain themes are kind of more adults so you know these days at least it's the way i see it not only for books but also from like in general cartoons or whatever i'm, I'm obsessed with animation and cartoons you normally see these days certain themes that are kind of like sugar-coated a bit and there's more importance on they do more. They, they focus more on the importance of like uh, self development, psychology, so, uh, you know, social relationship with others. But then they were kind of forgetting about the bigger picture of things. So back in the days, there were a lot of thematics on I don't know, environment and society, wars, whatever, bigger things. They're like, oh my god, this is the world. Whether these days they kind of like bubbling up everything and hiding the rest, and it's kind of like, no, no, don't worry about the rest. Just think about yourself, you know. Whether in this one, it's kind of like, yes, you have yourself because it's kind of the stories of Miss Frisbee's family. But at the same time, look, there's also a situation of the rats and the humans and the experiments in the background. So it kind of pushes both sides of of the of, of yeah. the story, both sides of the thing. So I I, I don't know. I, I mean, personally, I, I, I find it quite. Quite inspiring and quite fascinating. I don't know. What, what, what would you guys think? 
Well, I mean, the book deals a lot about social responsibility and that you have yes, a social yes, yes. responsibility, which is quite interesting. I come into um, the rat, uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nymph um, quite differently. In 1972, when the book was released, our teacher, Miss Paltz, I was in the second grade at that time, so that made me about eight, seven, eight years old at that time, um, would read, bought the book and read it to us as a class. And the thing is, re reading it, I remember, I remember it all. Remember the book and everything. I have, and when we cover the movie, this is the first time I actually seen the film. I've never saw the film before. Um, by the time the film came out, I mean I was in college, and by that time I wasn't really into animation at that time. You know, kind of got back into that in '89 with the Little Mermaid, and kind of went back into animation from that <laughs> point forward. But um, so re, re going back through Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and Nymph, I mean, there's um. It's a story that kind of sticks to you, which I thought was quite interesting. But I also realized that adults around 1950s, 50s, 60s America is that we didn't really know about disease control and products and how they test things. And that all started to come to light around this time. So there's, so in America, there's this anxiety about animal testing and what that and genetics and all that stuff started emerging around this time. So it's quite interesting looking at it through a millennial edge now and looking looking at it about how foretelling this all is. I mean, this book came out in 72, mm -hmm. you know, and everything that's in this book now is really, I mean, you know, we have organizations now like PETA and against animal testings and, you know, what this may lead to. So, and it kind of gives a nod towards all that, which I thought was quite interesting, really. Um, you know, because the rats... Because the rats themselves, I mean, basically, they're you know they they escaped from a lab because of all the testing. Though they did make them smarter, but we do have basically nymph, which is the lab that they were at. That's why the, the that's where nymphs come from. But the the men are looking for them, so they're always on the run. And and because it's even worse that they now have a, a human consciousness and the emotional intelligence to them, then now they're aware as well which is kind of interesting in its own way situation yeah. and then find, and i also like the story of mrs frisbee's husband and why jonathan that he died and you know yeah. he died and she's a widower so she's a widow so she's got the absent father and she's trying to do her do her best for her children but at the same time there's this folklore about her husband that she's not really aware of <laughs> And the thing is, she never really knew how he died either. She didn't know that he died saving one of the rats from the cat. You know, yeah. so he, sac he sacrificed themselves to protect another. And she finds all that. So what comes across as like a, a simple chi child's tale is a really in-depth story that's kind of buried underneath this you know i mean i guess when you think mrs frisbee like this little mouse and these rats and nymph, for some reason you know you go into it thinking okay well this is going to be a cute little story and you realize that it's quite hunkered down and a lot of serious issues and a lot of you know drama and single it's layers it feels like it's got layers of understanding like you got the layers of the story and then these other story and then this it's kind of like you can see from different perspectives and you get different teachings. At least that's the way. It's well, you also get the single mother thing, is what, which is quite interesting because in 1972, my parents got divorced. And to be honest, I was the only kid in our school who had 
divorced parents. By the time I finished school, I what I, what I, I was part of a minority, and I soon became part of the majority because most people started separating at that time. So that was quite interesting as well, keeping the single mother. And then I have to also remember by reading this that the author died a year after this book came out. So you never actually got to see all the fanfare and all the all oh, the awards it won and everything like that's that. Sad. Uh, that's quite sad to be honest. Oh my gosh. Well, it was really interesting that as soon as they were able to understand how to read, they were able to escape, they were able to understand everything about the human behavior, society, how where to go, where not to go, how to play around. Um and it's that's like because le- language made the culture. So once you know the language, you can understand what they were meaning. And then then there's no... Well, actually, the, he was saying in the book something like, everything is easier when you have like the kind of the correct key for the door. So once you know the our language, oh, well, any language, the, human, the, the humans are using, they know how to read it. They were they were able to escape all the time, so that that for me that was that really like clever because before they couldn't do anything and they they couldn't even escape because if they, they in the laboratory the humans were putting like um, tests to see okay this rat has escaped from the the cage let's see where where how far the rat by itself can go but the, the rats know. That she have to do certain things to be able to escape with no danger. Then she have been able to help all the rest. Mm-hmm. So that was really like interesting. I found it quite harrowing that when the men of nymph show up, and eight of the ten rats escape, but two get caught in the poisonous gas. <laughs> yeah, and it's like Ooh. that was that was that was yeah that was <laughs> they were like uh, running around and thinking oh. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I, I really like the segment where the pulley scaffolding system that they use in the book about moving the house, Mrs. Frisbee's house, yeah. how detailed it was. And the thing is, normally you think this could be quite boring, but it was quite exhilarating reading this in, the, in this yeah. kind of system. Yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, this is interesting. And, and it, was, it was really interesting for me when when they will say, okay, now we escape from the laboratory, laboratory, where are we going to go? Because we are not the normal rats anymore. And then even saying, was that even though the few times they came across other rats, they were feeling they were not the same because they were not able to communicate the same way. And mm. um, yeah. yeah, as you said, it was really interesting when they explained how they were going to do all the plan because now they were able to put a language, put a put a, an idea, uh, and make it work. I, I, the only thing I couldn't quite get under understand is how the the men of nymph were able to track the rats to the farmhouse. Um, do you think that maybe the farmer kind of knew that they were living in the? Uh, it was a rush. I I have the feeling I I have the feeling they were not able to. Until, you know, when when they... I I remember now. It is basically the farmer 
Mrs. Frisbee hears the farmer and his wife talking about when they went to the hardware store about how these rats got ex electrocuted for trying to steal a, a moat. Yes, motor. the motorbike. And, and that's there was what a, yes. attention. Normally, if you got a rat in your uh, in your for, in your farm, you can bet that they're on To be honest, especially if you're actually holding food and stuff like that, you know, I mean, it must be common. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, rats in London. I mean, you see them. I mean, they say in London itself that you're never more than five feet away from a rat. Now, imagine if they were really. <laughs> imagine if they were really <laughs> intelligent. <laughs> that's a scary because they're huge um, mice are not that scary they're cute and they're nice and you see them I've seen them everywhere Cambridge and London but yeah. the rats are these beasts and yeah. you never know because they carry diseases as well you know so you never know well I mean isn't that what caused the black plague was rats the fleas and rats that caused the black plague the black plagues break up in London again I'm sorry but I'm out of here I'm just telling you well, you'll just you'll be quarantined in, and don't oh, worry. Oh gosh, no! If you get the black, if you get the black flag, you know, I'll, I'll lock you into your house and put a great big red symbol on the outside of your door. I'll be more than happy to do that for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We've done that with COVID already. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we had like another. Well, to be fair, about the black plague in London, the reason why the black plague in London took off the way it is is because they outlawed cats here back in the day which created the rat population to grow because there weren't cats there was no cats yeah why because the cats were killing them and stuff no 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 no. but then they created these like cats fears but based on what i mean obviously this is like some sort of fears are all based on bs and people believe it well and, i mean, there, you know, I mean there are wise tales about cats that some people still believe it today. I mean, maybe it's that you know, cats can steal your children's breath. It could be something stupid as that back in the day. You're joking. Considering the back in Egypt, they used to be worshipped, and now we're going to that. Well, and then I you mean, white cats yeah. look down to us. Well, there's some people that do believe that. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that. I mean, I don't think a lot of people believe that. But if you're looking at, you know, what is it? Was it the 1500s that the Black Plague was? The 1500s? Mm -hmm. I mean, back then, I mean, you know, people used to believe a lot of things. Yeah, you know, and, you know, they just think that cats, you know, you know, would steal, you know, steal the breath of children. And what basically that probably was caused that because if the baby had milk on its lips, the cat would probably jump onto the baby for the milk and the smell of milk. Not saying that they're, you know, suffocating, you know, being malice about yeah, it. Yeah, but from an event, they will like, take it out of proportion and just make a big deal about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know what I mean, and then you know people. Which actually, which phobias and fears and shit. So yeah, but which actually connects to the to the main one of the main themes of the story as well. Like uh, knowledge gives you power, and then you kind of have to become responsible because if you have power, you have certain ethical obligation or some some sort of thing. Otherwise, you kind of like. Um, I mean, the world we live in today is a clear. At, at least is the way I see it. It's a clear representation of how the power is being misused all over the world. And then they do what the hell they want. And the world is going down. Wars and, and you know, all sort of problems. And they, yeah. and they do whatever they want. I mean, I think the problem with our world today is that when it comes to misinformation, it gets spread around as fact a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
it doesn't help that TikTok is probably one of the worst offenders of it. You know, <laughs> like you know, I watch it going people sprouting off stuff as if it's fact. You know, like what are you talking about? <laughs> um, yeah, but if, if but even magazines and, and media kind of blow things out of proportion and and say one thing and the other and then maybe because they're paid secretly by all the things and they say one thing in a way or another. I mean, it's you never know what if they're saying is absolute truth. So well, I mean, I don't know. Well, I think we get, as far as information is concerned, um, it's kind of weird because you don't really get an evil level field with information. What you, I mean, what you should really be doing is just giving facts and not have emotion or a side a sideness to exactly. it. Exactly. You know I mean, like your news nowadays depends on what kind of news you want. If you want a conservative news, you watch this. If you want a liberal news, you watch that. But what it should be is just news and just straight down the middle. Facts. And, and yeah. Yeah, and another thing, it's even like when it comes to like, you know, research nowadays. And, you know, if you look at, you know, the product of sugar, you'll get one company talking about go doing research on how sugar is good for you. And you get another company doing a research about how sugar is bad for you. So one week in the newspaper, you'll get this thing about how sugar is so good for you. And the next week, how sugar is so bad for you. It's but confusing. It would be better just to sit there and have a company just do research on just sugar good and bad <laughs> yeah you know but then I mean? you have there's more level field that way you know but, then, but, then, but don't you think that this is because you have a biggest massive corporates and companies who have their own economical interests and well they have their own interests but at the same time they are passing things through because i can look if i'm looking at something for just the good things of things you know i will i will i will bend and twist what I need to say to make sure that whatever whatever research I find and whatever results I get is bended to that way or the other way. Where if you just do the research and just this is what the research is, it's a bit you know it just you know you, you it's, it's a bit more even keeled and it's a bit more. I guess it's the thing that what we do now. I think we spoon feed the population and i think that's what the, what's quite dangerous and i don't think you should spoon feed it and i think that cold hard truths might be hard to take but at the same time if that's the way things are that's the way things should be portrayed yes but then again i think it's the truth is always difficult to to find even in the news because like i'll give you a simple example they've been advertising certain things for so many years, made so much money, suddenly the things they've been feeding us and we've been buying, suddenly, oh, that gives you cancer. Like, I'll give you an, an example. There is a sweetener that's been sold and I've been using it as well, like everybody else, which is, I can't remember the name. Exactly. Now they, or no, no, there's another one. They've been saying that it might be related to cancer. And I'm thinking, well, but you've been selling it to me for many years saying it's all good. Or, you know, and now suddenly they've been saying, oh, no, this might be related to cancer, but I might be banning it. Yes, but we've been eating that crap for so many years. So, and then the same thing, I don't know, toothpaste with or without fluoride. This is good. No, this is not good. And then at this point, I'm like, what the fuck? I don't know what is right and what is wrong anymore. You can do all the researches you want, but every company will tell you one thing or the other. So where is the truth in information? Uh, it's complicated. This is what I'm saying. It's it's very difficult. So there should be a responsibility, but it's all about the money. But I think it's so also there's a lot of agenda that comes across with everything. It feels like there always seems to be some kind of agenda. 
there's always mm-hmm. an agenda because companies want make want to make money and then how much money do you want to make at some point it's immoral has to be an ethical line where it says yes i mean the growth of the company and making money and expansion is important because it keeps the economy and jobs and everything However, if you're destroying forests, if you're killing people, if you're exploiting children in some other countries because you underpay them, if you're removing this company and just moving to China because it's cheaper and we're losing jobs here or stuff like that, or you're polluting, that's immoral, even though you're making money. Or like if you suddenly have a monopoly or some sort of control of, of, or monopoly of something, and then you're destroying all the small companies and then suddenly you have all the power and you can make the price, you don't have competition, that's kind of immoral. That's kind of unethical. Don't you think? That's why you have to. That's why when you talk, think about news and media, you kind of have to look at it is an immoral system because at the end of the day, they're there to make money, so they're making money on news that they can bend one way or another because they're owned by corporations. But this is the problem, and then they so say, "Yeah, this is." But then again, we say that we live in a democracy, but this is not really a democracy because democracy can be bent by the people who have powers of money. So mm-hmm. it's democracy, but this is the way I see it. So this is the sad world we're living in too. And we, thank I God we've got this. Yeah, maybe, oh, sorry, we've, maybe we've always been in this world, but it's just that you kind of, when you get a certain age, you start waking up to it a bit more realistically. Yeah, I think so. And then this mm-hmm. is sad. That's cool. And then suddenly you're like, you know, you might just go well and live in a farm alone. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but it's it's sad. Unfortunately, it's sad. Maybe, yeah, by growing up, you understand things and suddenly you're not um, as naive as you were when you were a child. Well, but the thing uh, is, like, the, the more, the more um, knowledge you know, it's like a, someone said this, like the more that you you know, you realize that you know less. <laughs> There's oh. more to know. Oh. And the less you know, you can okay. If you don't if I tell you, okay, this product is has poison, right? And you don't have any yeah. knowledge to even understand it, you will say you will believe it because it's with someone that knows more than you told you until then you are able to discover by yourself. And then in a way, that's what the rats did. Once they were able to understand how our society was working, they could play around, but uh, the rest of the time, humans were one step forward. Mm-hmm. And, like and it, it would happen all, always like that because mm-hmm. information is power and whoever has the information can manipulate the rest. Yeah. And then once once that you know the knowledge, then you can do what some rats did. They decided they didn't want to live in that way, so they walk away. And in a way, that's democracy because like if you're not happy living how they were living, well you can choose another path, take your knowledge, do whatever you like. Yeah. That's true. So the, although we have a terrible democracy, at least we have some sort of democracy because there are certain Although I'm, I'm not going to mention because I, I don't think I have enough knowledge to say, but there are possibly other former government which are worse when you don't even have the option to choose. So yes, we have, we we know we at least we have the freedom to know that we're bad <laughs> in other countries mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, well, we're like, we're in a lot of ways of where we're yeah. living because there there's always things that are fifty times worse. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. But saying that doesn't mean that we should stop looking towards trying to prove where we are. 
But I always think that maybe we shouldn't criticize other places until we've worked out what where we are at the moment to, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, it's okay to like frown and maybe, you know, use certain Middle Eastern countries that basically might have human rights problems. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, we can pride ourselves that we're better at human rights. But I mean, we can't sit there and say that we're a fantastic society because Absolutely. there are pl there are plenty of other things that are not working at the same time. So, you know, you may not want to pat yourself on the back yet. <laughs> sort of that's how you sort of yourself out sort of situation. And maybe, yeah. say, maybe save your... Uh, critiques and stuff like that on how other countries are running themselves until you're able to run your own country first situation uh, um interestingly enough the rats um mrs frisbee and the rats and nymph is they're looking at doing a live action version of the movie um no they shouldn't i'm against it i am against it they always ruin it the animation is as beautiful as it is. Why do you have to ruin it with a live action? Uh, well, we'll see how that turns out. Mm. That's been going in the process since April 2019, so still nothing. Oh. And there's also a TV series that Fox is developing as well, and that started being in development in September 2021. But is it as an animation or as a live action, this one? Mm, don't have any information about it as of yet. Mm. So, I mean, it's television, so I imagine it'd probably be animation. Might be because on. Might be computer. Because, might be computer generation, like Toy Story kind of animation situation. Because I generally love cartoons. There is one thing that we go in towards is the fact that yes, we go Japanese animation, and I love Japanese anime. I'm not a big fan of 3D animation, but obviously the Disney ones, for example, I love them. But but we got this obsession of trying to make everything so realistic with like live actions. Whether I'm like, what happened to the love for cartoons like back in the days? And I'm like, why do you have to make a live action out of everything? Just do some more animation. I miss animations. I love I animation. There, I think there's still some strong animations. If you look at Netflix, there's always two or three different new, new oh, yes, 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 yes. animation series. So I don't think they're gone to all the way to CGI situation or computer generation toys. When I say computer generation, I don't mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, the Lion King remake. I'm talking more along the lines of Toy Story. Uh, the story of Frozen. Frozen, that kind of thing. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but for animation, that, you're right. Yeah, because I've noticed that some of the things, like I know that Scooby Doo is has a computer generation series out that I've, I've seen bits. I haven't seen, although well, I haven't watched it, but I've seen bits and pieces clips here. <laughs> That's nice. So I guess before we go any further, let's rate Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and Nymph. And we'll start it off with you, Leandro. How many stars do you give this? Uh, four. And write yourself, Davide? Okay, this is difficult because I could give it a five. But this is probably the only time when I kind of liked the cartoon more than the movie. I will explain later why. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but I, this this book was nice. So I would give it a probably like a four point five. I can't take too much out of it. So four point five. I'm gonna give it a solid five, and the reason being is because I think it has a lot to do with I remember Miss Pulse, my second grade teacher reading us a chapter of this a day and it's it's stuck with me so i think it so i have that to go on and reading through and to be honest we're going back through and i said before reading it through 
with eyes <laughs> 50 years later um, <laughs> situation. Um, I had to sit there and say it. I was still enthralled with the story and I was quite shocked that I was, I, I remembered everything. I was quite shocked. So I have that little childhood memory. I'll tie it in, into that. But I, I think it's, it's, it's a very solid book. And I think I can understand why it's, out of a hundred children's book, it's rated number thirty-three out of the hundred top children's books to read. So, oh, wow. so yeah, you know, so I, I think it's pretty good at holding its place there. Brings us to The Secret of Nymph, which is a 1982 American animated fantasy adventure film directed by Don Pluth in his directorial debut and based on Robert C. O'Brien's 1971 children's novel, Mrs. Frisbee and Rats and Nymph. Don Pluth will go on to do American Tale, Land Before Time, Thumbelina, and Anastasia. The film features the voices of Elizabeth Hartman, Peter Strauss, Arthur Mallett, Dom DeLuise, John Carradine, Derek Jackleby, Hermon Badley, and John Schernar. It was produced by Blues Production Company, Dan Blues Productions, in association with Aurora Productions. The Secret of Nymph was released in the United States on July 2, 1982, by MGA UA Entertainment Company under the United Artists label. It was praised by critics for its elegant and painstakingly detailed animation, compelling characters, and deep and mature plot, and won a Saturn Award for Best Animated Film of 1982. Though only a moderate success at the box office, it turned a solid profit through home video and overseas releases. It was followed in 1988 by a direct-to-video sequel, The Secret of Nymph 2, Tim and T Timmy to the Rescue, which was made without Blue's involvement or input and met with poor reception. In 2015, a live-action computer-animated remake was reported to be in the works. A television series adaption is also in development by the Fox Corporation. We're going to just cut to the trailer of The Secret of Nymph and be right back. Aurora and Don Bluth Productions present a classic adventure in motion picture entertainment. I must tell you about Nim. Look there. It's a fantasy with wizards and villains. <laughs> And heroes. I ain't scared of nothing. I'm not even afraid of the great owl. Will you hush up? Come on. It's an odyssey to another world. A world of fantasy and enchantment. To what you see and hear, you must swear absolute secrecy. It's the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. Do you like me? Of course I like you. It's I mean, a story of friendship. I mean, you don't think I'm clumsy or anything. What? I just need a few pointers to polish my style. I told you you'd love flying. I don't know how I let you talk me into this. It's a classic story of courage. Why have you come? And a world of danger. If 
if I had actually been near a cat, I'd be sneezing my brains out. I'm allergic to hay. Excuse me, pardon me. Where courage is rewarded. Oh, thank you. A motion picture for everyone to share. Oh, the poor turkey fell down. I'm, I'm not a turkey. Big no, buzzer, Discover the secret of Nim and rediscover the child in us all. Welcome back to the Literary License Podcast. We're discussing The Secret of Nymphs. So, Davide, what are your thoughts of the film, The Secret of Nymphs? Um, so, first of all, I've seen the advertisement and the trailers of this movie so many times in my life, but I never got to watch it. So this is the first time I've watched it. Um, and you mentioned that the, the, the creator did something like Anastasia and Thumbelina, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, because when I watched that, I thought there was an old cartoon. I probably it's the same one. Have you ever watched it, An American Tale? Yeah, that's it. He's yes, simple. I have watched all of them when I was a kid because they hired they 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 um they showed them on TV in Italy. So I even recorded them with the with the old uh, VHS audio uh, video cassettes, and then we had them recorded. And then I was like, this looks like very much like that animation. And then in fact, yeah, probably it's the same the same guy who did it. Um, I really love the, the animation. Uh, for some reason, I like them more than the book, although there's only a part that I like the book more than uh, than the, the animation, but I will we'll tell that later. Um, it's an amazing, I mean, I personally think it's an amazing animation, very expressive. Um, the, the scenes when Mrs., I think she's called Brisby, or instead of Frisbee for some reason. Yeah, um, they changed the name because um, there are Frisbees in the, in the States, you know, there's a disc that you throw and catch. They're called yeah. frisbees, um, mm. and um, they changed it to brisbee because they didn't want the frisbee company to get upset with any kind of marketing. <laughs> this oh, silly really. reason, come on! But anyway, no, I understand. I mean, you want to avoid copyright thing, but I think it's silly because it's a story. But anyway, it makes sense. I think if you saw her name in print as frisbee, not spelled the same way, it'd probably be different. I think it's only because they call it the secret nymph. So therefore, mm, using yes. frisbee, now you might think, oh, see the name after you know. Because the thing is, you wouldn't have you never seen the name printed, which is pr- printed a different way. It's spelled a different way than than the yeah, frisbee. Yeah, maybe. It's the order, yeah. yeah. The secret of name, and then they called um, Miss Mrs. Frisbee something like that. It's not the book is called one way. The movie is called a different one. Mm, yeah. So I think if they called the film Mrs. Frisbee and the Secret of Nymph, maybe. <laughs> They probably would. They probably wouldn't have to change their name to Brisby. So, mm-hmm. but to be honest, I, I I forgot that her name was. They changed it to Brisby anyway. Because half the time I I just every time they said her name, I just thought Frisby. I don't know in my mind because I read the book. I read the book, and then I watched the film right after finishing the book. So it's only when I was going through my notes, like, oh, they changed it to Brisby. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I didn't notice it. So. <laughs> Yeah, so the animation was amazing. Um, I really liked it. The music is also incredible. I don't think the 
I mean, it kind of reminded me like of a Disney movie for some reason. I don't. Is it well, not part of the Disney? Isn't it? Um, no, it's not. What happened was is Don Bluth was working with Disney. Oh, he, he and because um, Anastasia is Disney, to be honest. Uh, no, that's Fox. That's Don Bluth again. Oh. Well, Anastasia, no, he broke away. Um, he he broke away from Disney in the early '80s, and the reason being because he didn't like the output that Disney was doing at that point, because he didn't like the animation style. Because what happened was is that. After the golden age of Disney in the 50s and 60s and 70s, Disney, um, the late 50s, Disney changed their style because they were looking for cheaper ways to do animation. So what they were doing is the Xerox effect. So if you look at like 101 Dalmatians, The Jungle Book, Aristocats. Oh, re re recycling the same animation, isn't it? Yes. And, and also is that, um, and you know, look at the, 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 the roughly drawn you know, you can see the outline around the around the characters and around that thing. And they have they have a different look. And they're they're called the Xerox, the Xerox years of Disney. Um, and um, and be, and because they were Xeroxing this, you know, the characters and stuff like this, um, to help save money, and that that mean that each cell wasn't painfully drawn situation. So therefore, they had to have harder outlines. For the Xerox pro production, that's the reason why they had that. You know, if you look at if you compare like Cruella Deville to the 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 Snow White, the Queen, or the Evil Stepmothers, you can see that there is a, a definite difference. So Dom became a little bit um, discouraged from that, which is quite funny because after this, Disney would kind of go start going back to his original Disney um, animation, which would be the Black Cauldron, which kind of flopped, which we'll be covering this season um we'll be covering at some we'll be covering it through our dark family films which they kind of start going back to this look so he wanted to go back to the old-fashioned um animation which is what we get with here but what he did here is he did he did a cell um a cell animation but which was backlit so instead of like filming it like they normally do like each slapping each cell down and snapping mm -hmm. it what they did was they did it behind a light a, a light box. So that's why when the you know when you see the red of the the red coming through of the gem or the the little sparks and stuff like that, it's actually the like you know the strong light popping up underneath the cell as they're filming yeah. it with that effect. And for that, I had to say this film is absolutely beautiful to look at. That's quite smooth to be honest. Smooth animation. I, I generally thought it was like, why isn't this Disney movie? It looked like a Disney movie. Now I understand why. Yeah. So, but it looks like old Disney. It didn't look like the Disney that was coming out at that time. I mean, this came but out. Also, like, the mute, even the music, yeah. to be honest, it looked like a very orchestral music. It's because in those in those days they used to have, um, they were having like you know, have you ever done grab a a bunch of papers and pass them from the back to the front and draw. While they were doing that with the the animation, there was a live band playing. So oh. that's that's how how they used to do it. And if you see, for example, a Disney movie, they, how they create three D, they were creating one one. They were creating actually like um, you put something, you know, like uh, on the front, 
then you put something on the back and then and then but if you could if you could you could put your actually your hand through papers to your so you were creating space and then when the camera was moving you know it was catching those things those scenes like that it's really clever way I didn't know. the other one is that what kids say that they're repeating one scene and the movement of the character is always the same i mean you can tell when um Saturday morning cartoons, or what we say, Tom and Jerry. Oh, yeah. Tom yeah. and Jerry, or Scooby Doo, or whatever. And you can sit there, it's like when they're running, and it's like the same scene going behind them over yeah. and over and over. Oh, like the, the, the Hanna Barbera cartoons, basically. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's very cheap animation there. That's but, still nice. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, when you have cheap animation like that, you really have to hinge everything on great characters. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so they were quite good with the character studies, but I mean, I had there's this. I mean, the thing is, I mean, I got this on Blu-ray because I thought, okay, well, I couldn't find it to stream anywhere, and then I realized that after I bought the Blu-ray, you can actually stream it on Prime for free. Well, anyway, but I saw it on Blu-ray. It's just like it just pops. Like this is beautiful, and a friend of mine used to work for Don Bluth anyway, so she worked on American Tail and Amer five of goes west and I love that that because they're all done in dublin it's all these are all, all done in dublin yeah that's what it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful inc incredibly beautiful animation even there and the stories are amazing and the, and the songs as mm -hmm. well <laughs> well she used to um her job was basically she was a colorist so basically she'd have to go back and forth between the paints and just color just color the the, the well, um slides sorry for each one that's what her job was so so, but um, but yeah. So, and as far as the storyline is this concerned, I mean, they made some changes and stuff like that. But I can understand why they made changes because now they have like the inner struggle going on with the, with the rats of nymph with you know John, you know Jonathan, you know and Nick Nicarod Nicarod. Oh, yeah. you mean the um uh, the, the 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 wise man? I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah. the, the, the old, the old... I want to keep. I keep wanting to say Nebuchadnezzar, but I know that's not it because yeah, Nicodemus or something. Yeah, that's yeah. it, Nicodemus. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, and um, and I had to sit there and say that, and I can understand why they added that because it kind of gives a little bit of excitement to the film itself because you kind of get now you have this power struggle within the rats, and then you, but then they also added this supernatural otherworldly aspect to it yeah like with the you know the owl and the old wise owl and and this and it it kind of fits the secret in the, the title it fits it it does fit the title you know and, and you know and the amulet the magic amulet that lifts up the house because it's no longer you know so you know they made some slight changes to the story which i have to say it's it's for a film. I mean, I don't know if it would have been that exciting reading about it, but in a film, I think it really works. Yes, but if um, I may say, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Leandro. No, I mean, for example, I, I like, I like the the book more than the movie. The movie is okay, right? It's telling you the story, perfect. Then have some some things that was like, for example, why the rat has yellow eyes. No clue. Like I think that that to show you that those rats have been through the experiment. I understand that, 
Well, I think it's like if they would have had the same eyes, well, you could say like, well, they were when they explained what happened and now they were clever and all that. There's no need of all that, all that aura, all that. Uh, and they changed a few other things that I can remember now. And I was watching the the movie with my niece, and then she said, "Well, what is it? How what this is happening? It's like a kind of if you would." You didn't know the story. They're telling you something, but it's like something missing that they tell you after, mm-hmm. not in the moment that you're seeing it. Uh, and that was a bit strange. And um, but yeah, I enjoyed the movie. I asked, I asked my my niece. I said, "Do you like the movie?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I enjoy it." But a few times she said, "Well, hello, I'm I'm a bit confused. Where is the husband of? Where's Mister Mister Frisbee?" And then later they said, "No, he died." Right. So. I enjoy it. It's really uh, well done. Uh, I understand that, for example, we if you look at it with the eyes that now we see uh, a cartoon movie, I like it because it's like the 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 classic. But for for example, for my niece is uh, my my nephew said, "Oh, that's really old cartoon. It's really boring." You know, it's like it is it's hard, but it's for like. A young mind to see the beauty in something that is really old. I, I, we will like it, right? Because uh, you understand more of the things, you know, when you grow. Um, it runs at its own pacing as well. It's it's not a fat. I mean, it moves quite quick. It moves quite well. Yes, but there isn't a lot. There isn't a lot of excitement until the very end. I mean, you get you can't. Yeah, it's kind of weird because you can't. It's kind of like. It's, it feels like it does feel like watching an old movie. It feels like watching something from the maybe a forties because it's like you kind of get this build up and it's kind of building up at a pace. Yes. And then um, and then it kind and then you know and then you get the the big conclusion, but then at the end of it, it's kind of a silent ending, really. Yes, and it's like um, where are the rats? No, the rats left. And story, you know, like really quickly. For example, I didn't understand why I decided to put that thing about the amulet, but there was no point whatsoever. I don't know. It's like yeah, the amulet was kind of bizarre. I mean, I can understand why they did it because visually it's quite stunning to look at. Yes, yes. But at the same time, it doesn't. You know, the book deals more with scientific. It's more yes. of a scientific science fiction. Yeah. Story. Uh, you know, I and, think it the film is a bit more the supernatural. There's a supernatural vein going through yes. it. Yeah, I think I, I, I think what they did is kind of transforming the story that had at least from the book that had two stories, like the stories of you know the family and the and the rats. And this one is a little bit more focused on the story of the family, which is central. So at the the ending, which is. We know when the whole thing happens, there is a lot of focus on the superpower, etc. Just to remind us that she's, you know, the mother, Mrs. Brisbane, uh, in this case, uh, is being brave, and then she's activating the power of the of um, the necklace or the stone. So it's more kind of, um, I don't know. It's like they focus the attention on the story of the family. So it's kind of like it's more made for kids rather than yeah. both for kids and adults. Because I think back in the days, and this is something I've always argued with every person in the world. I've always loved animation no matter what. And back in the days, at least in Italy, correct me if it's the same even in the UK or in the US, but people used to say, why do you watch cartoons? You're grown up now. 
Back in the days, watching cartoons, whether cartoons, animations, Japanese anime, it was something stupid for children. Whether these days, today, in 2023, we're now, um, animations and stuff, it's for people who care and who love them. And, for you know, there's a whole geek community who appreciate them. Back in the days, it was shameful that I, a man, would watch cartoon when I was 18 or 20. We're like, why are you wasting time with cartoons? So I think in that mentality, they made the, the animation. It was more for kids rather than adult, maybe for families to watch with kids. And it's like family friendly, like Disney vibes, but it was not something more for adults. Whether these days we can appreciate it as an adult and say, oh yeah, it was made for kids, but it's got a lot of themes that are more for adults. Yeah. I don't know, this is- It's it, it really interesting what you're saying, you know, because you know, when, when Shrek appear, I was, I, I watch, I watch Shrek with, with my friends at the it. time. I loved it. Yeah. And, and it was really interesting because you know that it's cartoon, but the topics that they're, they're talking, just not, not for kids. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can watch with, with, with a kid Shrek and the kid will get some jokes, but will get others. And we know they have double meaning, but yeah. I remember <laughs> yes, that, it's true, true. Very true. <laughs> yeah. And I remember that, for example, we were, we were watching Shrek one Sunday when we were having lunch and my dad said, oh, well, we have to watch silly cartoons while we're eating. I said, look, pay attention to what they're saying. You realize they're full of double meaning jokes. And he was like, no, no, don't change the channel. And it's what you're saying. And I think it's because when Dragon Ball set, set appeared, right, and it was anime, anime, I think it made change cartoons yes. from what we used to think, okay, it was just for kids to know there's something more complicated or X-Men or all the other stories. I think in, it, as the time has been passing, you understand that, okay, there were cartoons, but the story, if you go to go back and check the story, how the story was written, yeah. it was more... It's, um, it's always, it was always the stereotype because the audience back in the day yeah, animation was for kids first and then it created a sort of stereotypes. And this is something yeah. I thought proudly, and I'm sorry, this is very personal for me. I constantly thought proudly to say to people, yes, I do watch Japanese anime and I couldn't give a crap if I'm an adult or whatever. I watch it, I'm proud. And I've always said to people, if you look deeply into the story, you will realize that it's not something for children. It can be, but then if you look the story from a different perspective, you will understand things and themes for life, for self-development, for, I don't know, society and things. And then it, it was incredible because you could see things from different layers. And then people could not understand. And now that there's a whole world of geek community who can appreciate this, I'm like, yes, finally, thank God it happened. Because it was frustrating. For example, I grew up watching Dragon Ball, for example, or Sailor Moon. And then people are like, why do you watch these things for, theme, for, for like these silly cartoons and whatever? I'm like, yeah, have you ever stopped and focused and read the manga and, and watched the story and everything? And you'll realize how many, how many deep teachings of life or inspirations of things you can get from the story. Like if you can only, I'm going to use a, a terms very, um, a very like Buddhist term. Like if you only open your third eye and you see beyond the surface, you could see things beyond the surface and understand how certain teachings are also in cartoons and whatever. Well, like, and I, and I, then I, finally, sorry, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think, I think that's why maybe that's why they're making the movies now. Uh, for example, the jungle book with animals. So you could, see it from a different point of view rather than just a cartoon for kids yeah but then we we've got and this is my argument they're doing everything live actions but we've reached a point where everybody can watch cartoons and animations and they're still doing live actions 
whether they're focusing on the fact that instead of doing animation, they're doing something that looks realistic so adults can see it, but then the content is not as good. Mm-hmm. Not all the time, but then sometimes when they do live action, for example, they focus in certain themes and stories and I don't know, I kind of feel, I, I, I feel it feels like it loses the magic. With the animation, you have the freedom to express yourself the way you like, whether with live action, you're limited with, oh, that's not politically correct. Oh, the actor can say that. Oh no, you have to put a, a, a gay actor or a black actor or whatever. Whether you do animation, you can do whatever you want and nobody yeah. can see anything and you have well, you know, freedom. It's, it's really interesting what you're saying because when I was a kid, I used to watch a cartoon called Silverhawks. They were not really famous. Hardly nobody knows them. Yeah, it's from no, the same one that, that Thundercats. It's kind of like a Thundercats. Oh, the Thundercats. Okay, okay, okay. But they are in the space, right? But I, I was, I have, I, I used to enjoy watch those cartoons because at the the end of the cartoon, you were always having a test about the space. Oh, okay. And they were telling you there was like a kind of trivia. You have to. Uh, guess, for example, you know, which planner has more gas? And then they will give you options, and then you were learning something. And That's nice. But was it based story. on science? Was it based on science or based on the story? No, 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 that was at the end. It was to call your attention. But the thing is, I I, I always wondered why it was never being done like with the humans. And then I thought, okay, they were flying in the in these planets where there was no gravity. So how are you going to make with the humans when you have to explain that in the space there's no gravity? <laughs> so how can you fly in the, in like a bird? In, in Well, um. Now I forgot the point where I was telling you this. <laughs> well, but that, that's rather well. Sometimes some cartoons is better to the story to leave it as they are because if you try to make it in, as a human beings, uh, like that's real, cool. you 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 kill the magic behind. I agree and totally agree. But then and then, but this is this is my point. But then thank God at least these days they're doing more things for everyone. And in fact, since. Japanese animation has become like worldwide thing because everybody watches them. They started doing cartoons these days, even in the US, like American cartoons, who I'm in love with. Have you ever heard of Adventure Time, for example? It looks like a silly hangover cartoons for people who are hangover. And then instead, the depth of teaching and life lessons and things you can learn from. And it's an amazing fantasy science fiction animation. And it gives you so many teaching. Another one is Steven Universe. Um, I love that one. Or oh, you have, there are, there are plenty and they are all like, keep on the Wonder Beast. That's, for example, on Netflix. I, I, I love cartoons. I love cartoons. I personally am in love. Like it's, it's, you have the freedom to express whatever, whatever things you want, whatever teachings you want to do. Like if I have a decide to publish a book and I would want it to make it real, I would never do a live action. I would make it as a cartoon because I think with cartoons, you can, you, you have the full freedom to do whatever you want. And it's and then nobody can tell you anything because it's a cartoon, and then you have full freedom of expression. This is why I love cartoons. Anyway, sorry, we we went on a on a ton, on, on a tangent, but, but yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, my friend was one of the voices in Sailor Moon. So, well, the American version. Yeah, she did the uh, the English dub for it. Queen. All right. Dahin Leo, whatever her name is, was her name. Which but, character again? Queen Nellalina. <gasps> Queen Nehelenia. Oh my God. Yeah, she's the voice of her. I can't she's believe not, it. <laughs> it's amazing. She's also, she's also a recording artist as well. She makes really good music as well. 
So. Oh wow, nice! But we, is she queen doing the voice of Queen Helena from the '90s show or from the remake? '90s. From the '90s, the original one. Okay, yeah. that's nice. That's nice. I've yeah. never watched the American version. I've only watched the Italian one when I was in Italy, and then I always love to watch them in the original language in Japanese with the subtitles. But maybe I should give it a try. Why not in American? <laughs> Interestingly, about the Secret of Nymph. Um... It was a multiple passes on the camera to achieve a transparent shadows backlit animation where animated mats are shot with light shining through colored gels to produce glowing effects for artificial lights and fire effects and multiple color palettes for characters to fit in different lighting situations from daylight to night to warm environments to underwater. Mrs. Brisby had 46 different lighting situations, therefore there were 46 different color palettes or lists of colors for her. Two modern computerized versions of the multiplane camera were also manufactured for this production. To achieve the film's detailed full animation while keeping to the tight budget, the studio strove to keep any waste of time and resources to a minimum. The crew often worked long hours with no immediate financial rewards, though they were offered a cut to the film's profits, a practice common for producers, directors, and stars of live-action films, but never before offered to artists on an animated feature. Producer Gary Goldman recalled working 110-hour weeks during the final six months of production. Around 100 in-house staff worked on the film with labor-intensive cell painting farmed out to 45 people who would do these from their home. Many minor roles, including incidental and crowd voice work, were filled in by the in-house staff. The final cost of the film was $6.385 million. Um, and, uh, um, and the producers, Don Bluth, Goldman, and Pomeray, would mortgage their homes to complete the film with the understanding that their investment would be first to be repaid their homes. The film was the sixth animated feature presented to the Dolby stereo sound system. And the, this knife fighting um, basically was looked at. They've choreographed that by watching the films, the adventures of Robin hood from 1938 and the Vikings from 1958 to mimic the sword fighting in it. Oh my God. So you're thinking to yourself, like, oh, this is, I mean, this was a labor of love for these people, wasn't it? It's a shame. That's that's hard work. You, we got to appreciate that. Even though now we say, oh, this is an old cartoon. Oh, my God, the love and effort and sweat and blood they put into these. Oh, my gosh. Two and a half years. Jesus Christ. But I mean, I bow down to these people. This is hard work. Really mm -hmm. hard work. Yeah. Well, but the only... They don't really do the cell animation like that anymore. So no, I mean now it's more computerized, it's more automated. It's a little bit better, so at least you don't have so much labor and so much stress. And mm. they can still do like great work, but yeah. but yeah, the only thing I actually the only two things that I think one I didn't like as much, and one kind of like so and so compared to the to, to the book for this animation. Um, so the amulet, I. Obviously, we say, I mean, I, I say that they, I think the animation kind of went into like more kids, family friendly, and then they make the amulet like a more like a sort of like a supernatural fantasy thing. So from science fiction, you go to science fiction slash fantasy, and um, which is at the same, I personally also like it because it's kind of like a metaphor, like the being brave, sort of like you activate the powers of being because you're putting your heart into things. It's it's a beautiful, it makes it like a more like a fairy tale-y sort of thing, you know? And it's kind of gives you like a life lesson of like, you have to be brave in life. And if you're scared of things, just push yourself up, you know, outside your boundaries think, and you can still do it. 
I think the amulet is supposed to signify Mr. Brisby's yes. ghost, to bring him back from the dead, that he's still with them, even though he's gone. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. So that, and that's how I kind of thought it, because they kind of go, you know, they keep mentioning this presence. I mean, it's kind of weird, because Mr. Brisby in, in this in the film... He's one of those characters that's there, but you, but he's not. He's not yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're always, always mentioning him. Yeah, and he's like the supernatural force that's behind everything. <laughs> situation, you know. I mean, he's the reason why they decide to save her is because of what he did. For, you know, when he was alive, you know, he's kind of there to help them. And when everything goes back, and he seems to be part of the, you know, he got you. He the amulet belonged to him, which belonged to mm. her. Which actually ended up saving their house and saving their family. So, and I mean, the only the only thing I didn't quite like about the film is the crow. Yes, too too much. Uh, too annoying. Yeah. Well, he's, kind of there, he's kind of there to lighten things up, and I can understand why he's there because he's supposed to be. It's supposed to give you the. I think it's a like relief. Like well, like yeah, the comic relief that's not really quite needed. Where if he took that character out and kept it more intense, is because I always found that when he shows up, it kind of stops everything. That's it kind of stops the movie from flowing because he's an added character, <laughs> not even in the book. So it just seems to stop everything, and you kind of see him doing something stupid. Situation. I mean, I you know, I'm glad at the end of the film he gets laid finally, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. But yeah, so but he helps um, Mrs. Brisby somehow, and then she helps him. I think in the context of kind of the owl, they used to get her to the owl, wasn't he? And then, yeah, um, Yeah. um, because even even like looking for all the ropes and stuff like this to get them saved. By the time he shows up, the house has been saved, so he didn't he didn't help with that (laughs) situations. So I think so, so. I think you know him as an added character. I think kind of takes away from the flow of the story a little bit. So I understand why he was added. He was added there so that younger children wouldn't get bored, maybe, and they find him cute and humorous. So... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest, yes. What, what, what I personally instead didn't like the fact that they made the evil rat, like the villain of the story. That's the only thing I didn't really appreciate much because if you think that in the book... Is it even in the book? I, I think it's kind of there's no power struggle in the book. Yeah. With the rats. The power but struggle is away. the rats and the humans and protecting themselves and moving yeah. forward and always being on the run from nymph per se. That's what yeah. you know, that's what the book's about. The movie is about this inner it's about this inner struggle about taking over them and which kind of takes away from the, the original message of the book, really, because the original message of the book is that they're so superior. And it's about social responsibility to each other and to the, well, those around them. And yeah. the book is about a power struggle between, you know, yeah. the old the old one gets gets killed. And then so the other, I mean, it's a blind king, basically. So Scar can take over or Mustafa, Mustafa gets killed. So Scar's come on to take over. And you got you got Simba there to, or Jonathan in this case, you know, and they get sort of, and I, you know, I think that was added. Simple fact is, it makes it, it gives it, 
visually is more appealing. But I think about in the storyline, if you're gonna if you can compare it to the book, it kind of takes away what the message of the book is. It yeah, kind totally. of like simplifies it to kids. Yeah. So it's like if it's like when you watch Disney movie and then you have the original story of the good and the evil and the good wins, and suddenly now they're remaking all the movies with why was the evil really evil? Let's see the stories, and it's kind of like the same thing, but the opposite way. Kind of here, they're like, okay, let's simplify the story. There's a, there's a villain guy, and then we're all going to win. In the book, it's like, well, there's no real villain, but it's kind of it's a more complicated thing. <laughs> yeah, well, the only, the only villain you have are the humans. Yeah. But they're like a shadow feature over everything, but they're, they're, there's, there's no humans in the original book that have a char- characters of the humans. It's a collective yeah you don't you don't know anything about the farmer's personality you don't, no, I don't no. think the farmer has a name does he um humans don't have a name they're just a force it's like it's the men from nymph it's not like dr yeah. dr jacoby who's head of the you know the nymph corporation is looking for these rats it's just the humans who work for <laughs> nymph are looking for them so here, I, th- I think that because of that, I think they had to find a, a power struggle from somewhere else. And the power struggle was within themselves about who's going to take over the reins. And, you know, because, you know, you have where basically you have you know, the evil one not appreciating, you know, the old timers idea where they should be led. You got the new blood that wants to lead them in a different direction, and so it all became about that, really, about when it came to the rats. But it works in the film, I think, until you read the book, and then it kind of doesn't really work. Yeah, you know there is there is more in the book, basically. Yeah, because in, in if you when you read the book, as you said, there was like there's no conflict. It's like the rats were all like leaving, like. Let's say, as David said, like a democracy, and they say, okay, what would you like to do? Would you like to live the way we're living or carry on? And one part decided to carry on living that way. So they decided, okay, we're living this community. And then they decided to leave, go, like, decided to leave that place and go to the, the new place where they can have all the things that they wanted. And even at the end of the, the movie, of the book, the Mrs. Frisbee, Miss Frisbee decided to tell the the kids the story, the truth, what happened, where where everything started, and two of them said, oh, "Okay, let's let next season, let's go and go and try to visit them." Where in the movie said, oh, "What happened with the rats?" Oh no, I think they left. Okay, bye. And then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you also had like, the, and the children play more of a part about helping to save their own home. And he kind of got that going on. Yes. And then you have the auntie, who's another funny character. <laughs> the shrew situation. <laughs> auntie Shrew has her moan badly. And if that doesn't mean anything for you, you probably know her face from Mary Poppins. She's one of the housekeepers of Mary Poppins. Oh, wow. Well, the, the voice, the person who does the voice. Yeah. Which one of the two? Is the one with, with the red hair or the one with the gray hair? No, she's Mrs. Shrew. Auntie Shrew. No, 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 no. no. I mean, I'm. I, you when oh, you say Auntie Shrew, no, no, no. She, she's not the one. Not she's not Rita Shaw, the gray-haired one. She's the other one. Oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> um, 
They're both funny, to be honest. They're Mary Poppins. <laughs> and the voice of Teresa Brisby, if you're a fan of Beverly Hills 90210, that was Shannon Dougherty. <gasps> the one, Shannon Dougherty is the one who did Proving Charmed. Yep, that's correct. Yep. My God. Oh, wow. I didn't realize they were like famous people doing the voices in the story. Well, Will Wheaton is the voice of Martin, and Will Wheaton, you know him from Stand By Me, the movie, and he's also was in Star Trek The Next Generation as the young boy in that. So, interesting. Mm. And then, of course, they have some classic people in there, like John Carradine, who's fantastic. I love John Carradine, who's in The Howling and all these 1930s and 40s and 50s horror movies at the time, sort of thing. And Derek Jacobi, the, uh, the evil guy, in the in this is does all the he was a Shakespearean actor he's really big over here he did Claudius on BBC and things like that so so they have quite an extensive interesting casting and stuff I've got two more questions at, um, for the show the first one is why did the author create the story about rats or mice because I mean if you look at even the other animation, if you did the same animation, um, you say the other one was um, an American tail. They are mice there as well. So why mice? I think mice are um, mice are not threatening. Rats are always considered to be threatening or something yeah. to be feared. And, they're, and yeah. or mice, um, they can give them like a, a more cute thing. I mean, you have the mice in Cinderella. Oh yes. Yeah, and then you have you know, and then you know they're always kind of cute. When you ever have a rat, they tend to be on the evil side of things, and I think that's because rats have longer noses and they have the buck teeth, and they have like the squinty eyes. Where (laughs) when you do a mouse, where the mouse has like like a really small nose, and they kind of you know has like the little whiskers, and they can kind of. Yes, no, no, no. But maybe maybe I put the the other question wrong. Um, so why did they would he choose to make the characters as? mice and rats instead of i don't know birds or crocodiles why mice specifically well, is there a I particular thing to do with mrs frisbee because i mean if you look at the thingies um the thing about rats and mice which i think that we kind of forget about it, is that they are calling they're they're calling they they're they're a colony of rats or a colony of mice they're they're uh they work together well, in the community uh, yeah. like a society I don't know which 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 version of the book do you have, but the one that I have at the beginning is telling you a bit of the story of of the author, and I was saying that he he was creating stories for his friends. You know, when you sit down on the fire and then you are telling stories, like well, oh. and I imagine that you know when when they were kids, you know, there were no TV, blah blah blah. So the the all the thing you could see is like if you're in the countryside, you will be talking about things you see, you know, around you, like oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. mice, um, the cat, I don't know, and things like that, rather than, I don't know, creating a new universe, let's say, something like that. Oh, um, so you kind of like, take, take from a personal experiences of life and kind of like get those elements and then putting it in the story. Yeah, well, that's what, that's what I was saying in the, the prologue, that, that the author started to, since he, I think he was 12 or 13, he used to enjoy telling stories to his friends and, and bro- small brother, something like that, until then he started to create the story. And then, then one day he started to read, start to write and mold them, and then publish them. So I imagine that maybe that's why he chose. Um, if you want to t- tell a story about I don't know a rat and a ma- 
mouse will be easier than the, no, create the whole universe with new characters, <laughs> with new characteristics, you know, and oh, that's and what also, I imagine. Yeah. And that's the lab, the lab, lab rats. Yeah. So, yeah. and, you know, he also had the thing about, you know, there's the all Aesop's fable about the country mouse and the city mouse as well. Mm -hmm. so you got that little conflict there, you know, the country mouse yeah. is simple. Where the city rats would be a bit more urban, a bit more street savvy. It, it was really clear. <laughs> it was really clear what they were doing with the cats, you know. So to keep to be able to work, they were keeping the the cat sleeping, and the the owner will never realize because cats are always sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I like the simple fact that even though the cat was something to be feared and everything like that. But at the same time, they knew that the cat was who he was, not because he was evil, because he's a cat in nature. I thought that mm -hmm. was quite, that's quite easy, yeah. quite clever how they were able to keep that balance. There's an element of understanding that nature works in a particular way. Yeah. So maybe there's sort of like nature element of like balance and things is the way they are, and then kind of an element of the humans and maybe even the rats who evolved who are a little bit more than nature maybe and they kind and of have the responsibility and i think it's a way i mean comparing the book anyway um it's a way to using them using the animals you know the rats and the mice and everything like that as a reflection of how our society should work because we will get this again when we are when later on this season when we cover watership down which is another story mm -hmm. about using rabbits as, you know, as a symbol for human society and relationships. Well, so, I don't know. Have you, did you do it on, on purpose or, or did you just, well, I don't believe in coincidences, but all the stories that we have seen, there are a lot of rats, mouse, rabbits, uh, witches is, is again with, with uh, <laughs> mouse. I don't know, there are lots of appearing, a lot of, uh, them, I don't know. It's because you like them, or no? Basically, um, when I was picking the things up for, I was doing um, once upon a time, and I was looking for children's books that mm -hmm. that are basically um, very well received, and like I thought it was a good way to review them. You know, like Little Mermaids, Hans Christian Andersen, this um, Watership Down, Wizard of Oz is we'll be covering later, which is interestingly enough i mean it's only when we start covering that you realize there's like these similar themes coming through which are starting to break yeah. through now when it's our third Coraline, another one which we're kind of realizing that there's these themes that are running through these children's books but at the time i wasn't looking for a similar theme i mean the yeah. wizard of oz kind of fits into this theme as well which doesn't seem like on the outside but if you look at how the author wrote this book is like he used to tell stories to his children then he finally wrote it down which becomes the rats of nymph wizard of oz he used to tell his children these stories, and one day he, um, Frank Baum, decided to write these down. They became the Wizard of Oz. So it's quite interesting how you know there are these themes that are starting to pop up here, or there, and everything with everything like that. And then when we kind of do this, when we do break up our show to different segments like Dark Families this season, mm -hmm. um, anthologies, and you realize that these themes start popping up in like the Dark Families thing. There's like these. Single single parents, children on their own, um, 
children going through puberty and there's and these all seem to be like regular themes or isolated children in these dark family films that we love and hold dearly to ourselves situation and so i think it's just mm -hmm. you know having the mice and rats and animals and stuff like this i think this just happens just because they're all involved in ch classic children's books at the moment sort of situation but also, it's, it's it's interesting the fact that you mentioned that the, these are animals because um, I don't know if this is uh, outside Italy is the same or not. But in Italy, when we study literature, we separate um, fables from fairy tales. So the fables, we call them fiabe and fairy tales, we call them favole. So like a fairy tale is like a story that has lore elements, but is also like a sort of teaching and is like a story where the fables are all have an element with uh, magic talking animals. So with, and they all have, they were all created to, for like life lessons and teachings to people. So like classics of uh, fables are like the turtle and the hare or the fox and the grapefruit, the ugly duckling. These are short stories yeah, that kind of that. have a life lesson. But then um, the rats and Ninth kind of, although it's long, it's a long book and it's not short, Kind of, I, it feels like it goes and falls in under that um, label. I, what, what do you think? I don't know. Obviously, it's not. I think, I think, animals, short, but... I think, I think it's because um, kids like reading stories about animals per se. And I think the reason, but it's a good way to use animals in, as an aller, allergy, al allegory, allegory yeah, yeah. to humans. So you can do oh, yes. things have, and you can have animals have a certain say. And comment on the society that they're in without where if you have a human doing it about society they're in it becomes a bit different doesn't it so maybe it's a way to yeah. and it goes exactly the same thing i said earlier that people will have labels and will say oh yeah this person is not politically correct oh you can't say that because he's a man or she's a woman you can't say that and then instead if an animal says it or a cartoon says it nobody can say anything and so people will go beyond the label and then get the life lesson but but yeah, you know, it's a bit like if you have white rats against black rats, you can cover a minority segment than you can with, then then try to hit those issues with human characters doing saying the same thing. Amazing, so, that's true. That's true. So. Well, I guess we should rate Secret of Nymph. Starting at you, Davide, how many stars do you give The Secret of Nymph? Absolutely five. I love the animation. Really, really loved it. It's a very old animation. I get it. But if you go beyond the understanding of like, oh, it's an old animation. It's not like these days. Who cares? Plus, it's got amazing elements of like life lessons and teachings. and So I love it. So definitely five. What about yourself, Leandro? Uh, four. Um, I like the the animation part. I I really enjoyed. I didn't like that they change um, and add few things that they didn't. I, I I truly believe that if they wouldn't, for example, they wouldn't have put the amulet, you could get the story anyway. Didn't make big change. It, I think it did more for the visual point of view, so you can understand. Okay, now she now she has the power, but not apart from that. It's like you could get the story anyway. With or without that, 
I'm gonna give it about four and a half. I think. I I mean, I I like the story, but the animation is what blows me away, and I think it's the all the animation's all inspiring. Though mm. after the film's over, I thought, what a beautifully looking film, and I quite liked it, but I wasn't that, I. I wasn't that in depth with the characters. I kind of wanted a bit more involvement and more feeling within the characters for myself. Yeah. But saying that, I, you know, I will give it a, a solid four and a half. It's one of those films I think, like, God, this is worth winning an award. But is it something that I will return to over and over again? Yeah, if it's on TV, I'll watch it again. But I don't think I'll draw it out year after year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. Well, this brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Our next books to screen will be coming through Christmas season. We'll be breaking from our original programming and covering the book Anti-Mame by Patrick Dennis and the film Anti-Mame from 1961. And, of course, next week we'll be covering Batman the Anime Series. We'll be doing Shadow of the Bat Part 1 and Part 2, where we get to meet Batgirl for the first time. And Blind as a Bat and his Silicon Soul. And, of course, Dark Families will be covering two very unique films. The Oscar-nominated film, The Breadwinner, for 2017, about women in Iraq, which is an animated feature. And The House with the Clock in its Walls, about a boy getting over the death of his parents who were killed in a car accident. And, of course, we'll be continuing our anthology season with two cat features, which is The Uncanny from 1977 and Cat's Eye by Stephen King from 1985. And, of course, Doctor Who will be continuing with The Time Meddler and the storyline of Galaxy 4, which aired on the 3rd of July, 1965, and ran to the 2nd of October, 1965. So it's good night to my... Good night for myself. And good night, Davide. Good night, everyone. Good night, Leandro. Good night. And we'll see you next week for Batman, the animated series.